Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen, powered by ELEC 825. We are thrilled to join you on WWDB 860 AM and 97.5 HD2, part of the Beasley Media Group, ready to help you move into the weekend, talking about all the news in the world of sports. Jeff, we got a fun special show coming your way. We've got the Bacon Brothers coming up at the bottom of the hour. Uh, where do you want to start the show, Jeff? Have you found your car yet? <laughs> <laughs> well, before we get to that, you know, when we, when we, the show, before the show starts, we have the disclaimer and, and, and now we apparently have that we can listen to this in France. Well, you should, so tra- there is, there is a market that we can relate to, right? Wait, look, we may have to change show topics and really <laughs> talk to the people in France. Uh, There's but- a couple things I would like to say in, in certain versions of French to, to the Philadelphia Parking Authority, if that's what you're talking about. Okay, so for our listeners, we got off the air last week and Jeff was happy. He was having a good day Saturday morning on the <laughs> Jeff was happy. <laughs> and I get, I'm sitting there with the teller getting some assistance and I get a phone call from Jeff saying, my car was either stolen or towed. I don't know. I'll let you know. <laughs> And the woman at the break badge says, is everything okay? I said, I don't really know. I'll let you know. Jeff, you take it from there. Well, you left out the part that how shocked you were and how, how, how calm I was at the fact that my car was missing. You were much calmer than I would be if I could not find my car, but you did find it, correct? I did find it after, after scouring around Philadelphia. They claimed that my car was in a towaway zone. It was not in a towaway zone, but... Instead, they sit there and they're difficult with you, and then you have to go track it down at whatever lot it's in, and then you have to stand in line to do the lot, and they're making a lot of money out of it. I'm getting this out of the way, by the way, so we don't ask the Bacon Brothers about it later. I just want you to get it out of your system so it doesn't come up later. Why? Are they part of the parking authority? No, but look, when we move on to the Sixers Arena next, everybody's going to be a part of the parking authority. If they well, well it's, it's good that you're going to be able to segue this into a sports story because yes. people are probably going, what the hell's going on? But since we are in Philadelphia and some of us, at least half of us, actually live in Philadelphia, it's just come into the city on any given day and just watch because it's not one parking. And I have nothing against the, the good people that work there, but there, when there's 10 of them surrounding one car, writing a ticket, you have to wonder, like, how much are they spending to have 10 people stand around and write one, one ticket? <laughs> enough to I'm get, not exaggerating, by the way. You will get, see the gaggle of PPA people, like, just standing around the car. And we have all the respect for the PPA people, but it was enough to get you to pay to get your car back, correct? Once you found it after searching once I, the city? Once, once I found it. And, and you remained calm for the whole time, pretty much. I was shocked. Yeah, and, and in, in a Seinfeld-type moment, as I was looking for my car, a certain someone who might be related to me decided to uh, – I was talking to him, and his first question was, were my clubs in the trunk? And that's the sports part of the story, <laughs> that I love your son so much because he wasn't worried that you would find your car or not. He was worried about whether his golf clubs were in said car that was missing. And that is where we will leave the story because if other people have golf clubs in their car and they drive in to what could be the new Sixers arena – and park in a place that could be a towway zone because there's only one of 29 knots, lots that exist there. They could be towed too, but we'll get to the. That was such that. a painful effort. We'll get to the segueing to the Sixers let's, Stadium. Okay. Uh, let's yeah. start with the positives. So the Sixers announced this week new plans. They want to build an arena, 76 place. I love the name, by the way. 
76 Place is fun. I, it's like, not going to be called 76 oh, Place. Of course not. It's going to be Somebody, some, some, some sponsor is going to have it. Oh, absolutely. And it's Heinz. Be, they should have Heinz do it. 10th and 11th Streets on Market Street. The mm-hmm. arena would open in 2031. Uh, have about 18,500 seats. So a little bit smaller than the Wells Fargo Center, but kind of around where arenas are in the NBA right now. Golden State has about 18,000 fans for their arena. Wait, how many, how many does the Wells Fargo Center hold now? 21,000 that it can hold up to or something. Well, that's a lot less. 3,000 less seats or 22,000 less seats. You talk about your opinion on it right now, and I will look up the number of seats. What do you well, think the original? I, I I think the Sixers are struggling as it is. I mean, as, as somebody who just gave up their season tickets this year, um, it, it's gotten tiresome to deal with their ticket office. And and as a, as a Sixers fan, you know, I like to go to the games, but dealing with them and the price increases has gotten through the roof. And if anybody hasn't said it out loud now, the fact is you all should open your eyes to the fact that there will probably be a personal seat license and it's going to be a huge number. In addition to higher cost tickets, uh, there are a thousand fewer seats in the new arena proposal than the Wells Fargo center. Wells Fargo center has 19.5. Thank you, Colin, for being on top of that. So it's, you know, it's a little bit smaller arena. Okay. Um, You're talking about the seat costs uh, that will likely go up. Well, let me ask you a question. It's supposed to open in 2031 if it all goes as planned, right? Yes. I hope I'm When do you think the Sixers are going to start demanding that you have to pay them the PSLs? 2025. Yeah. They're they're going to get interest-free money from the season ticket holders. That's what's going to happen. Now, I understand that's the reality of sports now, but it's a reality that I think less and less people are willing to pay. Are you excited to go see games in a bright, shiny new arena? I have always wanted stadiums downtown, even when I was the South Jersey suburban guy. That's the interesting thing is yesterday when I sent it to you, Mm -hmm. you were kind of excited about it. You're like, it's a city thing. And my thing was like, oh, the parking and the driving because I come from the suburbs. But now you're like, oh, the seats and the cost. So is this like a... You realize the more if it, w- if it wasn't going to cost anything extra, of course I would want it in the city. Uh, I think that there is a different kind of vibe when you're going to a sporting event or the whole day of a sporting event, as opposed to if you're if you're going to go downtown, you can have dinner, you can you can socialize. It can be a better experience because you can do more, and it's better for all the surrounding businesses in South Philly where it is now. You have what Xfinity Live, and that's really your only choice outside a stadium. I heard so somebody, it's not benefiting the economy the way that it can when it is downtown. I heard somebody say, uh, I think it was on ninety-seven-five when I was listening that they can go get a cheesesteak at a gas station down there. <laughs> that's the food options along with Xfinity and Chicky and Pete's. And so you're right, there are more options there. But I, I will tell you, I'm not used to driving in or driving or taking public transportation into the city for sporting events. I have always gone to the stadium. How many sporting events are you going to? Any that I go, I drive to the stadium. How many, though? How many, how many Sixers games do you go to a year? I went to like seven last year in total. That'll you'll, go to you'll the st- amount that you go to. You'll still be going to the same amount. Of course I will, but it'll be a different experience. And, you know, again, I'm not going for date night right now. My wife and I hopefully will have date nights when this thing opens. 
But right now I'm taking a two-year-old if I'm going to the arena and that's its own experience. And so, you know, it just, it's a different experience. I'm not looking to walk around the city for hours with my two-year-old who can't really keep his attention on the game long enough to go. <laughs> just, so just make sure you bring a mascot with you. But that, that's what I'm saying though. So I understand where people who are excited to have it in the city are. Me as somebody who has always driven to the games for convenience or whatever, uh, it's easier for me to pop over the bridge than it is to drive into the city. Now, it may be easier to take Paco over because if you look at it, there is public transportation all over there. There's a SEPTA stop. There's Paco trains, regional rail, Market Frankfurt are all a block or a walk away. So you have a lot of that there. But if you're somebody who drives, there's nothing in the proposal about parking. The only thing in the release about parking is that there's 29 existing garages within a half mile. Now, you tell me on a weeknight when people are in the city working or going out to dinner, how those 29 garages are going to hold a fan base that is used to driving to games. Their other problem is, is parking garages are a nightmare for getting out of at sporting events. If you are not at the bottom of the parking garage, you are in there for an hour. Yes, So parking garages don't solve the problem. You are going to have to get used to taking mass transportation and the city and PATCO and SEPTA are going to have to make sure that these lines are safe. And running. And running. I mean, I'm not somebody who's opposed to mass transit, but look, I joked with you. I went to WrestleMania a couple of years ago at MetLife Arena, at MetLife Stadium, and people were standing there for three hours because New Jersey Transit couldn't run trains afterwards. And I'm not one to go and rip the transportation system, but if you're going to move this amount of people in and out of a location that they're not used to going to, you need to be able to do it efficiently and safely, or they're not going to go back. All I'm thinking about now is that they're picturing all these people leaving WrestleMania and getting on a train with them. So I've decided that my goal is to drop a wrestling mention in each week's show and just see the reaction when I do it on your face that I dropped it in the show again. Anything else you want to say? Well, wait, will you even do it the week that you're going to do the monster truck reference? Yeah. Because aren't you going to a monster truck rally? Yeah, and I've got it because there was actually monster truck wrestling stuff in 1995. So I'm, Somebody wrestled the monster truck? No, Hulk Hogan and the Giant uh, had monster trucks that raced against each other before they wrestled against each other. Jeff, I'm totally prepared for this. Don't you worry. I've got wrestling for everything you want to do. And yeah, I'm going to Monster Truck Madness next week with my five-year-old, and I can't wait. I'm like a little kid. I think I'm more excited than he is. You know, I can bring up a lot of things I can remember about sports. I can give you quotes from Seinfeld forever. Knowing that there was a monster truck slash wrestling event is something that I am so glad is something that I can't quote. Since I've blown your mind there, let's move on to James Harden. <laughs> but James Harden has a new deal. Uh, it took a little bit. Uh, I can afford a monster truck. I don't know whether they're waiting on the they're waiting on the money for the Sixers to do other deals. He signed a two year, sixty eight point six million dollar contract with the Sixers. He'll have a player option on the second year, make about thirty three million in twenty two twenty three, about fourteen million dollars less than the deal he opted out of. And then, so he has a one year contract, is what you're saying, with a player option for a second year. So if right. he, it's a one year contract, he can for- explore the market. And get more money if he comes back and plays as James Harden says. He For can. all intents and purposes, it's a one-year contract. It is, a, it is Harden's option if he wants to take it next year. If Harden comes in as in-shape Harden instead of out-of-shape Harden, and he plays well, he's going to get a lot more money. Absolutely. 
Yeah. So, so this, you were panicked. I was a little panicked that the Sixers were going to sign him to a four year, $200 million contract or whatever it was. That I'm still not that. sold. They won't try to do that after this year. And really they, they may, but you get one year to sit okay. there and rest easy that the Sixers actually made the right economic decision for the first time. They did not go out and make the big splash and sign him to a deal that they could sit there and say $200 million. And Daryl Morey would come out and say that everything is great. He's now going to have to prove it. And, and God forbid he get, he gets injured. The Sixers aren't on the hook for that either because the, my concern is you and I have talked to past NBA players about when players start to get older and get out of shape and when their hamstrings go and that those hamstrings don't always come back. And so if, if he continues to have hamstring-type problems, the Sixers, unless they have some wink-wink deal, which, by the way, would be improper, but if they had one, then we're still paying hard. So what do you feel about this roster? Is this where we are? It seems like there's another shoe to drop that Daryl Morey's having conversations. I hear Bibles and Harris's name, but I don't know who wants them for what the Sixers would want to fit on this team. I, I don't I don't want to make another move. So you want uh, to start the season with the players that are here and see what it is, let them play out. The Sixers didn't get out of the round they didn't get out of because their star, Joel Embiid, had a broken face and a broken hand. And they still almost won. Yeah, they also didn't have very much for a bench. They, but I'm saying if if Embiid had been healthy, and these are two big ifs, and if Harden had been in shape, do they beat the Heat? Of course, but yeah. Well, well, so okay, so then they're in the conference finals. Would they have beaten the Celtics? I don't know about that. The Celtics were much deeper. Okay, so so now the team is a little deeper. And now the, you now and, you have and the Celtics are deeper too and other teams in the east got better i just i agree but what 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 move see there's always this addition by subtraction and there's always making the big splash tobias harris people have complained about him for years the second half of the season tobias harris found his role he found his voice in the playoffs he was probably the most solid player he was the captain as far as i'm concerned and he was playing good defense what player are you going to get that's better than him when you trade him away? Will they play him in that role again for the rest why, of the season? Why would they not? Because it took him a really long time to get there. And I find that they do lots of things in rotations that make no sense to me. So it makes total sense what you're saying. But you and I have both watched this team coached under Doc Rivers do lots of things that don't make sense, including not put young guys on the court and get them experience when they can. So if they're going to use Tobias Harris the way they should, and they're going to use Matisse Thibault and these pieces that they have, cool. But it just seems that with the coach they have, the age oftentimes indicates how much playing time you're going to get. Well, do you believe P.J. Tucker is going to be a starting power forward? I do. Okay, so so you have Embiid as the center. P.J. Tucker is the power forward. Tobias slides over and plays small forward. Hart, you have Harden in the backcourt. You have Maxi in the backcourt. You now have Thibault off the bench. You have, what is it, a house off the bench. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul Reed, if you get another backup center, you can move Paul Reed to your yep. backup power forward. Anthony Melton. So you go nine, yeah. but is right. that top nine or top eight good enough to compete with the Celtics and the Bucks, who also weren't healthy throughout the playoffs when they played? And that's, I don't know. You're just not going to do any better. That's the thing. So why why every year tinker with this? 
as opposed to say, okay, most of these guys played together for half a season. Now you're going to have them at the begin from camp on playing together, and you've now added PJ Tucker, who played with Harden before. It doesn't make sense to me to just keep playing around just for the sake of playing around. I'm not telling you that this is the best team in the NBA. They probably are not. It has, but I'd like to see what they can do without constantly going for big splash after big splash. You and I have had this conversation before. If you're building the team the way you and, six I would years. Like, you and I would like to see it build, mm-hmm. then they would allow for some of that consistency to see if these guys can play together. But you and I have both seen this ownership group and this management group, and that's not the way that they've approached this team. It's just well, not. Well, maybe they have now they have their big shiny new toy in 76th place, and they can play with that and just leave the team alone. They just wanted to take the head maybe that Eagles. They must have known that the Eagles were going to announce new black helmets, Jeff. Do you think that was on purpose? Do you think this Eagles literally, yeah. Do you think the Eagles literally sat there and said, oh my God, the Sixers grabbed headlines. We have to put out a black helmet. I think that they were going to announce their helmet any days. And I think it's a way to get in the headlines. I think there is something to the fact that some of these teams don't like other teams getting the headline over them in the city. And you and I have talked about it, that the Sixers are a team that seeks headlines and the Eagles are a team that seeks headlines. All right, so as an Eagles fan, yes, black helmet. I only have to wait one more year to the Kelly Green. No, that's not like really but care. okay, so they just put out a helmet that you you totally just don't even want to see because you want to get to twenty twenty three. Yeah, it'll be fine. I mean what it's kind of fan of you. The one that's been calling for the green helmet for longer than I've been alive, Jeff. See, now the Giants have they're bringing back the red, white, and blue jerseys. But still Giants the on the helmet. Yeah. And <laughs> They're still the Giants. Daniel, you talk, go, you go ahead. You talk your smack now. Okay. Get well, it out of your system. We talk about teams that are fun instead of the Giants, like who? the Phillies right now, who are kind of fun. Right. Even though you can't really see them tonight unless you have Apple TV+. Plus. <laughs> I love Yeah, people keep texting me I wanting to that. know where the game is. You are now TV guy, Jeff. And I know that you're surprised that I even get that reference for TV guy at this point. That is, that is pretty impressive. For people that don't know... Okay, you want to fill them in on what TV Guide is? Guide used to be at the register and it would tell you everything that's yeah. coming on TV for the next week or month. And I used to love that because I could look and you, see. You have crossed people. over into old people territory. Yeah, I straddle that regularly. Yeah. You, 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 want to, you want to do some jokes from the Reader's Digest too? Uh, that's where Can I go drive. back to 2022. So they start the second half on Apple TV Plus. 92 games into the season, they're 49 and 43. They've got a run differential of plus 62, which ranks seventh in baseball. And they're tied for the Cardinals starting the second half for the third wild card spot. Somehow they're 12 and eight since Harper took a fastball off his thumb. They're 27 and 14 under Rob Thompson as manager. What's your feeling of this team as it comes back from break after how it went into break? Get pitching. They need to get pitching. Starting Harper. Harper. Yes, hope Harper is hopefully coming back. Segura is hopefully coming back. So that's like two huge free agent signings. Rail Muto, for as critical as I was, has come played much better after a down month in June. He bet he's hitting three thirty three in the month of July already, and he's had a lot of clutch hits. Castellano's still struggling. I don't know what the heck's going on with him. Um, but you're right; they're going to have players coming back. 
I still would like to see Matt Beerling as the center fielder as opposed to a Dubal Herrera. At least I have a defensive option out there. I mean, I've got enough bats in the lineup right now, but the concerning thing is Zach Eflin. You thought you were going to get him back to pitch, and instead he's getting looked at for a sore knee again. So is this something where this... He, but see, you knew, but you knew this about Zach Eflin. We've known this for years about Zach Eflin. For whatever reason, he breaks down. And when he pitches, he pitches very well. He fits into the rotation perfectly. But how do you not have a sixth and seventh starting pitcher sitting there in AAA ready to go? They haven't had a fourth and fifth pitcher in there for guys that have been out, let alone a sixth and seventh pitcher. Well, no, I'm talking about that. They had a good starting five. So you you have I, I know you're not you're still not sold on Ranger as a starter, but Ranger has gotten progressively better as the season has gone on this year. Gibson has pitched very well, and then you have your two top of the rotation guys. So Eflin fits in there as a fourth pitcher very well, but you had to be prepared for the fact that he might break down, or one of the other starting pitchers might break down, and they're not prepared for that. And if you're going to spend all the money that they just spent and not have starting pitching. What's the point? I guess I'm more sold on Ranger as a starter with the bullpen a little more stabilized. They're not. And, and why is it stabilized? I don't really know, to be because, honest. Because Sir Anthony Dominguez and Hand now have defined roles as the eighth and ninth inning guys. Weren't so all, all the other guys slot into there. Weren't huh? begging for that when they were trotting out Knable and... Familia and mm-hmm. all those guys in high leverage spots. Now all of a yes. sudden these guys have roles. Jose Alvarado hasn't allowed an earned run since June 12th. The bullpen since Joe Girardi was fired as manager has a 2.99 ERA. That's tied for third best in baseball. Yeah. Teams against them are hitting 201. That's fourth best. They have 16.1% strikeouts to walks. This team has gone from not being able to retire anything and blowing games regularly to locking it down. They face the second fewest batters in the major league since Rob Thompson has become the manager. How is that possible that you have such a turnaround? And we talked about this. I, I begged for Charlie go for a while. I'm rarely, how many former major league pitchers we talked about? Defined roles with and, we, and, and how important just, that was. And it's not just baseball in, in all sports. Yeah, no, but, your but the bullpen is baseball, the bullpen. We've talked to managers. We've talked to minor leaguers. We've talked to professional players. We've talked to former players and they talk about how important a routine is in baseball, knowing what you're doing from day to day. And finally, we're seeing some consistency with this team. If you're a young guy in the lineup, you don't have to worry that if you don't get a hit like Mickey Moniak doesn't, that you're getting yanked from the lineup. You don't have to overdo it because they're being a little bit patient right now. And it seems like it's working and the team is playing more comfortable and it's showing in their results. Now, can they keep it up? Who knows? But they've got the fourth easiest remaining schedule for the rest of the season. The Cardinals have the easiest. They play only five teams with winning records in the second half. They have 12 against the Braves, seven against the Mets, three Astros, three Giants, and three, two Blue Jays. That's it. Yeah, those, those are pretty good games. Those, I mean, are, the, those are pretty good teams. So I, I'm not, I never buy this the easiest schedule, especially in baseball. It's all about matchups. So it I doesn't understand. really matter to me. 
but 43 of those games are against teams that are below 500. So we'll see what the matchups are, but we talk about how they're tied with the Cardinals. They're just two games behind the Padres for the second wild card spot. Now they're not catching the Braves because the Braves just don't seem to lose in baseball anymore. <laughs> yeah, and depending on, and depending on what the Padres do, I wouldn't count on pat, catching the Padres. When, when, the, when, the, when the Padres trade in a couple of weeks for Juan Soto, <laughs> is, don't play on it. Okay, so you've got big names that are about to move in baseball. Did you see how ridiculous the Juan Soto stuff got that he paid for his own flight to go out to the All-Star game because the Nationals weren't going to pay, and then the Nationals got upset when it got public? Like, come on, man. So the Nationals did something petty, and they got upset that it, gave, it became public. Yes, that, how Good dare move. you make public the ridiculous thing that we did to you? Hey, can we? I, I know we only have a little bit of time before we have the Bacon Brothers join us. Can we just talk about the umpire stuff for a minute? Yeah, uh, I, just to just get serious for a minute. I mean, because you and I, we we've had umpires on the show. We do stuff with Ump's Care. Uh, the, the whole thing that's going on is just disgusting about about how that umpire was assaulted. We've talked about it before. Um, and for people that don't know, an umpire, what, how old were the kids? Uh, it was a youth league. I believe yeah. they were in like 14, they were younger kids, a 72-year-old umpire. Um, there was a, a parent that was there that was using profanity around the kids, verbally abusing mm-hmm. the umpire. The umpire ejected the, the guy from the game. As he should. He came out on the field without any warning or provocation, mm-hmm. punched the guy in the face, broke the umpire's jaw and gave him a concussion. He's filed suit against them, against the league. The umpire has filed suit. Umpire has filed yeah. suit against the man who hit him, against the league for not doing something about the protection. And Jeff, as the lawyer, the part that I found most interesting, the suit also names unknown individuals at the game who verbally encouraged or fostered the assault. And it says, even after the alleged assault, the lawsuit contends these parties continued their verbal harassments, including taunting Neely after he was struck, indicating that Otero was right to hit him and the umpire got what he deserved. That's disgusting. This is more than just one person who did something. But I don't know if they're criminally or civilly liable for. Yeah, I think it's I think criminal criminally. I don't think it's anything because he he committed the assault on his own. Um, So the assaulter is the one who's going to deal with the criminal aspects. The civil lawsuit. I don't I don't really think there's going to be something that upholds that. But you know what? Good for them. Let them spend legal money because, quite frankly, I find it disgusting. As somebody who you know, I have I coached competitive youth sports for a while, and you've seen and, some of the best and the worst of parents. and most and mostly the best and mostly it's it's the parents that understand that this is their kids and their kids are out there to have fun and learn lessons. But there's always a couple of those parents that think their kid is Mike Trout, and there's parents that live through their kids' sports. And there's parents that just can't sit there and cheer for their own kid and have to make them make this about them. A parent coming out of the stands, intentionally coming out of the stands, arguing with an umpire and breaking his jaw. What has to happen that 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 triggers somebody to do that? And once that happens, what is wrong with the parents who sat there, didn't stop him from doing it and then said he deserved that the umpire deserved it? As he's laying on the ground with a broken jaw. He's 72 years old calling calling balls and strikes at a youth baseball game. How do you deserve a concussion and a broken jaw? Making virtually enough for people that don't don't know because I've had to do this. When you get these umpires, you pay them. 
they're making ten fifteen dollars an hour. They're doing they're it not making big kids. dollars to do this. They're doing it because they want to see kids be able to play. They're doing it because they love the game. They're not exactly. doing it because they want to sit out there and take abuse from parents who want to live vicariously through their child who's not good enough to play the game. It's ridiculous. One I of the sad to be that kind of parent. I tell Sarah all the time, you know, we'll get Brandon into sports, but I want to let the coach coach. We've talked to different players and coaches about how it's so much better when it's not just your parent doing it, when you take instruction from other people. And and here you have this parent who just they can't let their kid play. And it ruins it for everybody. And it ruins it for that kid. Do you not think that that kid will not think about the rest of his life? Think about the fact that his father walked out there and, and just assaulted an umpire. And that's what it is. It's assault. And I just, I don't know what has to happen to change. I, I remember parents yelling on the sidelines when I played, when I was younger, I don't remember the coming on and attacking officials because um, look, I am all for cheering. I'm all for, for some good natured, you know, smack talk. But it, but this is not appropriate. And as somebody, you know, I went to Cooperstown. The parents sit in a pen, basically, in a cage pen in the outfield, so that they're not doing this kind of stuff. If that's what we have to do for youth sports around the country, it'll be sad that that's where we get to. But you know, I've seen parents that'll stand behind the cage at home plate, and the parent is sitting there when their kid is up, yelling at the umpire about balls and strikes. What are you teaching your kid? The thing about sports is you learn life lessons. What kind of life lesson are you teaching your kid? That's what you should ask yourself every time you drive your kid to a sporting event. You're teaching your kid that if you yell loud enough, that if you harass enough, yeah, what happens? don't just play the game. And if you get a bad call, you step up there and swing again and make it go away that you don't learn anything. Like they don't learn how to actually participate and to follow the rules because their parents are there saying, my child is so good. My child couldn't have done wrong. You're damn right. Your child could have done wrong. I love my children. They surely do things that are not perfect all the time. Your son called and cared about his golf clubs more than he did your car. You still love your son. Like nobody's saying that these children are not wonderful children, but they are not the angels their parents make them out to be. They are not the superstars the parents want them to be. And the parents should not live their life vicariously through the skills that they barely have. Wow, that was like a few good men speech you just gave there. I just don't understand why you can't go. Like I get it. You're hot outside, whatever. It's no excuse. You don't go punch the ump. This is not difficult like teach your kid how to choke up rather than choke the ump like that's pretty old school too by the way the (laughs) fact that i know how to like that you choke up on a bat like teach them something that is productive and make them better when they play baseball the next time they get up to the plate how is that kid going to be any better when it follows no i I, but see i think it's more than that and i know we have to go to a commercial but i think it's more than that i don't think it's just learning the game better it's learning life better and, and to me, that's that's what didn't happen here. And, and for that reason, that kid is going to get to visit his dad in prison. Well, we'll keep talking about how to learn life better. Stick with us. We'll head to break when we come back. The Bacon Brothers join the show. Operating engineers are the men and women that move mountains. And the Engineers Labor Employer Cooperative, ELEC, puts them to work. They create opportunities for the men, women, and union signatory contractors of Local 825. Repaving our roads, keeping our homes bright and warm. 
and even building our favorite team stadium. We understand infrastructure. That's why ELEC and Local 825 are ready to get to work. All right. Welcome to the show, Michael and Kevin, the Bacon Brothers. Guys, thanks so much for the time today. Pleasure. Thank you. So the fun thing is we get to do research for these interviews. You guys, your family's a fabric of Philadelphia. What's it like growing up with your dad being known as the father father of modern Philadelphia, Michael? What's the city mean to you guys? Uh, Well, first of all, uh, we grew up in Philadelphia. We spent our entire childhood. um, So it's very, very formative. And I've noticed recently, as I'm getting older, my affections have increased for that final city. But uh, one thing that's interesting, you mentioned our dad. uh, Philadelphia's in one place where I am Ed Bacon's son and not Kevin Bacon's brother. So um, it's it's amazing when... um, when our father was alive, he'd walk down the street with him. People would just come to him constantly. Ed, oh, you're so wonderful. I love what you did with this So, uh, yeah, I also have a um, house out in Chester County. So uh, I get into Philadelphia a lot more. And, uh, you know, the older, like I said, the older I get, the more I like it. Love it. You know, um, not only is it are you guys a fabric of Philadelphia, but even some of your songs and the name of one of your albums is Philadelphia-based. How did you come up with the name Philadelphia Chickens? What was the inspiration for that? We didn't even write that song. That's <laughs> interesting. Uh, that was a song that was uh, written by Sandy Boynton and uh, her writing partner, who I, his name escapes me, Michael something. And, and uh, she was doing uh, one of her children's books uh, and... I think it's, it's been quite a long time uh, in the past. There's there's um, was some kind of charitable component, and I remember when I listened to the song "Philadelphia Chickens." I mean, I thought it was a funny title, but I also thought this song is like a big band swing kind of thing. There's no way that this is going to be a kids song like that. And uh, to my uh, uh, utter uh, disappointment. It still remains like the number one Bacon Brothers song. On <laughs> That's what I'm like. This is like I really don't want these kids songs to be the. the it's I don't know. It I, you know you 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 pour your heart for years into trying to make you know some music that you know actually means something to you, and you just can't get. We just can't get past the Philadelphia Chickens. Well, you can with some of us because one of my favorites is old guitars. And, and, and when you hear that song, you think of all the people that are an inspiration, the songs that are inspiration. How did you guys come up with that one? I, you know, I don't know. That was one of mine. You know, uh, uh, it, it was, um, I think I was trying to see how many uh, iconic rock musicians and songs I could cram into one tune. I think it was 43 references or something like that. And, and yeah, it's funny. We, we still do it live every once in a while, although it was off of our first record, wasn't it, Mike? I think it was. Yeah, that was, I believe, our very, very first single. Yeah, first single, yeah. Um, you know, uh, it, it's, it, it taxes my, my, my you know, uh, uh, um, memory to, to try to remember all those words. Michael, you're the the one who followed the musical path first while Kevin was acting. You're the composer. You were playing in bands before the Bacon Brothers. You also write music for film and and TVs. Tell us about your journey through the the field to get to where you are with the band. 
Uh, well, I started out as a singer-songwriter at a pretty young age. I play, learned how to play all the all the fretted instruments, folk instruments. And I also played the cello and later the oboe. So I had a very rich kind of background in music. Um, and when I got to college, I was in a cover band that did English uh, English invasion kinds of things, mostly stone, spiel, that sort of thing. And um, so then I was in it very early in Philadelphia. I was, I think I was 19. I joined a group called Good News, which was myself and my partner, Larry Gold, who, ended up being a real force in uh, a lot of hip hop and, and R and B as a string arranger and had a studio in Philadelphia for many years. And then that group broke up. I got married and I moved to Nashville and I became a staff writer at combine music, which is a legendary uh, publishing company down here. And I was signed with Monument records, had two records out with that and moved back up East and uh, put my guitars and my PA system in a little red rabbit and drove right into the disco era. And at that <laughs> time, um, my wife got pregnant and it was like, uh, all of a sudden it was a light bulb went off. To, I mean, I have to actually provide. Um, so we moved to New York in hopes of, I, I would be a jingle singer, singer and writer when that was exploding at that time. And the work that came to me was film scoring and, um, it's, you know, there's there are very few people in the world that get to absolutely choose exactly what they want to do and have someone pay them for it. So the film scoring kind of came in um, and it turned out I was good at it and I got more work and more work and had gave my rock and roll superstar dream up. And then in I think it was 94, my brother and I just sort of on a serendipitous moment decided to put the band together and for one gig. And we did. And all of a sudden, as it started rolling forward, my dream came back i haven't gotten there yet but um the only hit i've ever had is philadelphia chickens but i'm hoping that we can <laughs> eclipse that at some point or other though i do it love it comes story. back to philadelphia chickens yeah <laughs> the you know, parents will come up and they'll, they'll say oh philadelphia chickens are kind of going their eyes are kind of rolled because they probably heard it seven thousand times <laughs> when their kids were growing up so how, how much fun is it for you guys to to perform together as brothers as people who grew up together uh, the performing is the fun, you know. Uh, the, I think that the, um, the the other stuff is the thing that that, that you get tired of, you know. The, the road, um, the uh, you know travel, especially you know these days, it's very very challenging trying to get someplace and, and get someplace and stay healthy enough to get to the next place. You know, that's a that's a real um, a, a, a challenge. Uh, but we almost always love the show. You know, when we finally make it and we're finally standing, you know, in the wings and ready to go on, it is a it's a lot of fun. We we we're not a band that, um, you know, stands up there and goes, wow, this is such a bummer for us. You know, do we have to play for you? We, we're kind of like the opposite. We like to we like to leave it on the stage. What's it like when you get to play close to home? You know, we know on August 2nd, you're going to be in Ocean City. Uh, people around here are going to be excited. What's it like for you to, to come home and play in front of the hometown crowd? Well, we did a club in Ardmore uh, recently, which was really, really great. That's a relatively new club. I think it's called the Ardmore Music Hall. But right. the Ocean City gig is really fun. We must have we must have done Ocean City 10 times now. And it's on this pier that's literally right into the ocean. 
and you get on stage and you look out at the Atlantic Ocean and it's uh oh shit, it's really a a fun kind of uh warm town and throwback. Uh, yeah, it really is. And um you gotta cross the boardwalk walk to get into the venue. The funny thing about the venue also is that the band has this amazing view of the ocean, but the audience only has the view of the band. <laughs> uh, but it, but it's it, a detriment. Yeah, yeah. Well, we, you know, I mean, I know it's not, I know it's not Philly, but you know, it, it a lot of New Jersey is Philly adjacent. We and we've just our 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 motto is just that we've never had a bad gig in New Jersey. Tell us about your style of music. You have your 11th release out, Arado, but but your style is sort of a blend of rock and soul and country. I've seen Ferrosco. Where does that come from? And and what's the process of... It seems like you guys like songwriting as much as you like performing. Yeah, the, it's interesting. We Our first um, record, we decided to... Uh, a brilliant promotional technique and make it an unpronounceable word. Um, and he, <laughs> did Jason pronounce it wrong? Do it okay, Orosoko. But how would you know? Oh. Okay, <laughs> actually, <not>. close. <laughs> so it means it, this oh. word. Kevin is is a very clever man, and he so he took folk rock, soul, country, made it you know switched it into a word for Orosoko. But it really is very accurate because first of all, we're the two writers in the band. I have a, a different musical experience. I'm nine years older, um, and it's when you have the two writers and then the, the, the legacy of how many years I've been in the business. Um, I had made my first record in 1969. So I've, I was pre any technology, uh, you know, digital technology. So I, my career has gone through all of those things with the adjunct of the film scoring on the side. Um, but I think the thing that Kevin and I feel really strongly about is we are uh, above all songwriters and we didn't sit down and say, let's start a band that has a certain sound, you know, uh, glam rock or or hip hop or classic. Disco. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so what we go is we write a song and if we think it's if our wives approve the song and say, yes, you can play that. Um, we would let the song drive the arrangement. So sometimes we have things where I'm playing acoustic guitar and somebody's playing mandolin. Kevin's playing harmonica and it's very, very intimate. And then we have um, another another uh, song, the Kevin which is a great song called and has to do with Philadelphia as well. It's called British Invasion, and that's that's pretty pretty hard rock. So um, it's everything in between, and it's whatever we feel the best um, environment for the song that we wrote to put it across to an audience and have them understand it and hopefully like it. What's the process for when you're writing these songs? Do you sit in a room together and write them and you go back and forth? And, and is it fun? Uh, we don't write that much together. Um, we kind of started out that way, but, I, you know, I don't know. We just have, you know, basically Mike can write in demo in his studio and I can do the same. So we 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 tend to write things separately, then kind of share them with each other and, and start to get uh, input. You know, a lot of times the input will be in an arrangement or uh, in in uh, vocals or or you know a vibe or or nothing at all. You know, sometimes we just go down done. That's great. Um, we have recently done a little bit more writing with other people, which are actual writing sessions, and those are really interesting because <laughs> they're 
I mean, you can imagine that's kind of an awkward thing, especially if you don't know somebody. Everybody that we've written with, we didn't know at all. Like, that didn't know anything. I mean, we could get links to their other music and stuff like that, but we didn't know anything about them personally. So you just kind of go into this room and you sit down and you just kind of start shooting the, the, the breeze and, and try to come up with something. And that's a pretty uh, a potentially awkward kind of situation, but it's really cool when you actually walk away and you go, wow, we got a song, you know, they're not always great songs necessarily, but there is a song there. And that's kind of a nice, uh, we, we've been enjoying that. Yeah, we, did, we wrote a song with Desmond Child, who is, as you guys know, he's like a giant of the giants. And uh, as a pure songwriter, there aren't too many people who who are in, in his category. And uh, we had a writing session arranged with him and we spent two days in his apartment in New York and cranked out a song, which became our first single um, in memory of when I cared. So um, that that's a really different way of songwriting. I mean, we are what I describe as confessional. We go... Um, Oh, today I twisted my ankle. And then um, you write the song, oh, the twisted ankle day. You know, you, it becomes a personal thing. Hold Whereas, that title, bro. Hold on to that yeah, title. Yeah, I, oh, I got it. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, Jeff's a copyright and trademark attorney. Um, <laughs> we're not doing the show. So, if you need any help with that title, a lot All right. Thanks, nice, Jason. <laughs> uh, then he should know that. I don't think you can copyright a title, can you? <laughs> That's why he's the attorney. And I'm the one who just plays something on the radio. Don't worry about it. <laughs> so, we had an interesting session. The, uh, Day before yesterday, we're in Nashville. I'm in Nashville. We just played a gig down here at City Winery and we had a writing session with a married couple and uh, both, neither of whom we knew. And you just, and you meet them and they're going, well, I don't know. What are these guys? What's the vibe? And they're, everybody's kind of careful. Uh, is everybody comfortable? Is, you know, is everybody uh, feel comfortable to, to uh, contribute? And it turned out to be really good. And we cranked out a song in about three hours and, um, uh, Brett sent us a demo that night at 11 o'clock. Um, and we're, you know, that song is now, you know, we're starting to crank, crank it out, figure out how to arrange. So that, that's that been really fun and very different for us. So I did want to ask, we like, when we have athletes and artists on, we like to talk about how they use their platform to give back to the community. Kevin, I understand you didn't initially like the six degrees uh, thing that they did, but you've sort of embraced it and raised five million dollars with it to help and give back to everything from community community development, education, health and arts. Can you talk about sort of coming around to it, why you didn't like it, but then how you've been able to utilize it to galvanize and help people? Well, it was just really I thought that it was a joke at, at my expense, you know, and and it was, you know, I, I've always been kind of fundamentally resistant of things that would I mean you you'd be hard I mean you'd be surprised to hear this but that would put me sort of into pop culture in a way you know I I I had a very very lofty ideal about just being an actor for the sake of the craft of acting and not to be a personality and when when I when I became a a, a famous actor all of a sudden there was all this other, you know, BS that I just wasn't really into, you know, and, and, and so six degrees, I kind of felt like I was starting to now be, you know, a respected actor. And all of a sudden this kind of thing came along. This is really about pop culture and it kind of bummed me out. But that being said, I just kind of, 
decided to embrace it. And I was looking at other, um, you know, celebrities who had done some positive work, uh, you know, of a charitable nature. And I was trying to think what I could be branded in the same way that, you know, Paul Newman was with, with tomato sauce and popcorn. And, um, so we started to put this thing together and we actually have something that we're very excited about. Uh, and I'll, I'll just tease it, but it's a hundred percent Philly based. And, um, so it's a, it's a, it's going to be a song and a little behind the scenes video and a video involves a lot of Philadelphia, uh, not only uh, people from entertainment, but also from sports. Um, it's, uh, it's going to hopefully raise some money and some awareness for a really cool organization called rock to the future, which is a, a, a Philly based organization where they put instruments and music lessons and and recording opportunities into the hands of underserved youth and in philly so we're you know that'll be a uh that's that's a, a six degrees effort you know before we let you go i know jason has a sports question for you but before we let you go if you had to pick i know you're evolving i know you're going to continue to make music for years to come but if you had to choose each of you what song best defines you that you've done which would it be also with that is the song i wrote last year maybe the year before it's called the way we love and it's just kind of it's one of those times where well it's maybe the only time where i go i just really captured like 50 year relationship in a three minute song and i'm very proud of that and um you know i think people respond to it and um it's really fun to sing and i don't know that's it the way we love and I just, just wanted to wait, add. Wait, Karen, what's yours? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think The Way We Love is a, is a really good example of us. Um, I don't know. Uh, well, let's go with that one. Uh, there you go, Jeff. You put him on the spot. <laughs> uh, I do want to ask before you go, we are a sports show. Kevin, I saw you were more of a street sports, you know, handball, football guy growing up until you got into basketball. But you were tweeting when the Eagles were on their Super Bowl run and I was losing my mind in my living room. Uh, what sports mean to you guys? Well, I mean, I think it's I feel very I feel very, very happy for the city of Philadelphia whenever a Philadelphia team is um, uh, doing well. It's just um, I don't know. It means so much to the to people and you know you you see what that was like with the eagles um maybe it went a little too far but <laughs> we never, maybe it went a little too far yes but, but, fan on the show we would never go too far as we would never go too far of course yeah but that's but that's but that's part of uh, that's part of the the philly the the inexplicable philly sports thing so yeah i mean it's 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 awesome Michael, any, any soundtracks ever for, for sports that you've been able to do? Oh, uh, yeah. I've, I've done some stuff for ESPN. Um, uh, what other things? But um, one thing is kind of interesting, Kevin's ma- mentioned the Eagles. Um, before the Eagles won the Super Bowl, there was the controversy about the building higher than William Penn. Uh-huh. We'll call it William Penn's curse. Some, some people call it the Ed Bacon curse because when that building went taller than William Penn's hat, our father was devastated. Really? Oh, yeah, he lost uh, his mind. Yeah, he Willard Rouse, uh, right. 
was just, you know, the pariah of the century. And, um, you know, I almost feel like uh, somehow my father's curse wasn't quite strong enough because he came through, but boy, he tried. He wasn't able to stop it for us. The other thing I was going to ask you guys is, do you follow the Tour de France at all? Yeah. A little bit, yeah. Because that's my, you know, I mean, July, I'm a basket case. I used to race bicycles, so I know the pain. Uh, and the faces and identify. And I just love the, just the craziness that they have that an hour ahead of it. They have the, um, all these crazy cards and they throw things out at the fans. And it's just, it's, there's no really sporting event like Have it. you been there to see it in person? Oh, that's on my bucket list. Mike, right. Mike if you had stuck with it, you might have been the first Philadelphian to win the Tour de France. There's yeah. Look, Jeff's trying to pick up pickleball. So there is still time. (laughs) Don't give up your dreams. We cannot thank you enough for the time. If our listeners want to get more information, want to get tickets for the upcoming shows, go to baconbros.com. Best of luck with the new EP. Best of luck with everything going on. And you guys take care of yourself. Thanks a lot, you guys. You were great. It's really been fun. Thanks Uh, a lot, guys. Thanks so much, guys. Jeff, what a blast getting to talk to those guys. You can hear how much they still love the area, and they have so much going on. It's always great to talk to people from the area about how much they love it, how much they love the sports, and and how much they consider it all integrated as part of the experience of growing up. Sports is like the fabric of our lives. It's also pretty cool that that Michael uh, does those kinds of things for ESPN shows. Yeah, we're going to have to explore that a little further at some point in terms of what it's like to make some soundtracks for what I always joke is my childhood because it was all about sports where you hear the sound that narrates the game that you watch. I mean, how how many sporting events have you watched the beginning of it and and thought about the music that's part of it? I mean, so March gonna, Madness. This right? will not surprise you, okay? For a couple years in college, I used to have different ringtones for people that were like uh, ESPN hockey intro, the NFL films intro, like everybody had their own different sports ring. I know that won't surprise you, but I did have that for a while. No, or Monday Night Football. I oh, mean, yeah. when you hear that music, you know it's Monday Night Football. Absolutely. It, again, it just it brings you back to that place in time where you hear that sound that elicits whatever feeling you were having when you're watching that game or that and being in that moment. Yeah, and the Bacon Brothers aren't just themselves part of Philadelphia, but for those that don't know history, their father is a large part of of the history of modern Philadelphia. And we are now on the cusp, as we talked about earlier, the Sixers want to build a building in the middle of the city. How cool would it have been to talk to him about it? Well, look, it's not taller than Billy Penn, so I don't know that he would totally say no to it. But again, it's something that... Like we talked about at the start of the show, it will totally transform that area of the city, whether you agree or disagree with the proposal. And you wonder what somebody who had such a role in developing the feel, culture, look of the city would think about a structure like that being placed right at Market Street. You still want it there? I've got questions. I, well, wait, I did. I said you still want it there. I know you don't want it there. <laughs> it's not that I don't want it there. It goes back to what I said at the start. I just think that there's lots of unanswered questions about it. And I think that you're going to see a split in the fan base between like, there's no institutional memory. If you're not 70 years old of having a, a stadium in the city here. So my generation grew up 
going to the stadium complex. We don't know taking public transportation. If you're in South Jersey or you're in the northeast suburbs or, or other places and all you know is driving to games. So it's just a culture shift for the fan base. It changes the tailgate. It changes everything about it. You go, you spend time in the city at the bars rather than going and buying a bunch of beer and sitting in a parking lot and grilling. It's just different than the experience that we've had. Well, look, it's going to change so many things. You're, you're talking from the perspective of a South Jersey suburb yes. where it's easy 15 minutes in, in and out to get to the stadium. For people who live in the, in the Northeast, for people who live out in the Western suburbs and places like that, there's just no way to get to those games in any short period of time where you can, this will provide the opportunity to take mass transportation. But for somebody who's been to lots of stadiums in lots of different cities, the ones that are downtown, it, it draws a more vibrant crowd because you're not just going for the game, excuse me, but somewhat crappy food. Like I, I go to the Wells Fargo Center. What am I going to eat? I really don't want a piece of pizza that's as long as my arm. I'd like to be able to go out like if you if you t- if you take, you know, a date, do you want to go to some place like the Wells Fargo Center where you're going to have to eat what they decide they're going to offer? Or do you want to go out to a nice dinner before or after a game? So, again, we have different life perspectives now because my date is my wife and my two kids and taking right. a two year old and a five year old into the city, although they think the train will be fun is not as easy as just parking in the parking lot and walking in for me. So again, it's no, but, but if you're going just with, just with your spouse, when do wouldn't we, it be nicer to be able to just go out to dinner and then go and then walk down the street look, to a game that will start to happen by the time the Sixers open this stadium. But for right now, <laughs> that ain't where we're approaching this one from Jeff. <laughs> Well, well, my kid's 2,000 miles away. That's right. So he'll fly, I don't back. Have a problem he'll fly back to come to it. That's if we can all afford the seats at that point, like I said earlier. so He doesn't care. He assumes that I'm he'll, paying he, for it anyway. Yeah, look, in 10 years, you'll be like, you'll be all set. You could get these tickets for him. It'll be all good. No worries, right? Uh, no, not happening. That's going to be the last statement for the show, Jeff. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Make sure to join us next Friday night to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.